0: Just go to Indeed.com slash wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: And we're back. Like we never left. Oregon fans, what's going on? How we living? Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish Podcast, your premier podcast for all things Oregon football and recruiting. Man, do we have an episode for you guys today? Do we have a game to break down? Oregon dominates Colorado and Deion Sanders 42 to 6 at home in Eugene at Autzen Stadium. And this was one of the biggest statement wins that you'll find anywhere in college football this past week. And we're here to react and break down this game. Coming to you live on YouTube at Oregon Football Max Taurus, as well as on Twitter at Taurus Sports and the Ducks Digest Facebook page. So excited to get into another episode of the podcast today. Let me know if you guys are here in the live stream or if you're watching on replay. Leave me a comment and tell me how you're feeling after this Oregon football win. Ducks moved a 4-0 on the year ahead of a road trip to Palo Alto this week to face Troy Taylor and the Stanford Cardinal. So Oregon starts off packed to play with a bang, and there are storylines abound from this game. I usually like to start with the offense, talk about the defense, and then go big picture with it. So why don't we just jump into it there? Uh, Oregon on offense, another great day for quarterback Bo Nix, who continues to add solid performance after solid performance to his Heisman resume. He's One of the best quarterbacks in the country. We already knew that. But why I think this game in particular was important was a lot like the Texas Tech game a couple weeks ago. Ducks are under the national spotlight and Bo Nix delivered. Once again, his stats on the day completed 28 of 33 passes for 276 yards and three touchdowns. He did have a sack on or sorry, he did get sacked twice and he did have an interception, his first turnover of the 2023 season on a ball that was underthrown to Troy Franklin. But Bo Nix also used his legs in this one. Five carries for nine full yards. I guess he didn't really use his legs too much. Five carries for nine yards and one touchdown. So that was kind of his one highlight on the ground was that touchdown run. But O'Neills had himself a day once again proving that he is one of the best quarterbacks in the country. And this all comes inside a Pac-12 that is loaded with top-end quarterback talent. You have the reigning Heisman Trophy winner and Caleb Williams. He's doing his thing at USC who got a little bit more than they uh, expected from Arizona State. On the, uh, in the in that game on the weekend, um, Kenny okay, Dillingham and the Sun Devils gave USC a bit of a scare. And then you have um, UCLA as Dante Moore, Michael Penix at Washington, Cam Rising at Utah. There's just so many talented quarterbacks in this conference. And then Shadour Sanders on the other side, he had himself a long day at the office against that Oregon offense. So um, Bo Nicks just did Bo Nix things. I think one thing I'll say about the offense, and I don't know how you guys felt about this. One thing that I thought about Oregon's offense early on is even though they were efficient, effective, moving the ball well, I didn't really like all the screen passes or all the the quick passes that the Ducks were deploying early on in that one. Um, Especially there was one that comes to mind. I think it was Gary Bryant's conversion on third down. Um, It just seemed like they were doing it a little bit too often. I understand wanting to get the ball into the hands of your playmakers, but maybe it was a little bit force feeding to me. It kind of felt like that. But obviously, masterful game from, from Will Stein and the entire offensive staff. I don't want to take away from what they did at all, but I had a few question marks on plays like that. Um, but you got to start with Bo Nix and what he was able to do for the Ducks. And man, did they have a day on the ground, running the ball down Colorado's throats 240 rushing yards on 38 carries, had three touchdowns on the ground. And this number that stands out to me 6.3 yards per carry. We knew all week the conversation was Colorado cannot defend the run. So. Oregon ran it right at them, and they had no answer all day long. Bucky Irving had himself a game, ran for 89 yards. Jordan James had 54 yards, and Noah Whittington had 45 yards as well. And then, hey, look at this stat. Casey Rogers, 18 rushing yards for the big man, the defensive lineman on that fake punt that could be argued that was the turning point in the game. But a lot of different guys registered carries in this one. And Bucky Irving really stood out to me, just showing that he is such a special back. There were numerous times in this game where Bucky Irving looked like the hole wasn't there, looked like he was going to get stopped in the backfield for no gain, and he made something out of nothing. That is the thing that Bucky Irving does continuously, game after game, just make. The most out of all of his opportunities, the way the guy can dance, the way he wiggles, slides out of tackles on a consistent basis. Bucky Irving is such a spe- special talent for this Oregon offense, and I know that fans are excited to have him. And then Jordan James, he got into the end zone for a touchdown, seven carries for 54 yards and a touchdown. No Whittington, eight carries for 45 yards and a touchdown. So everybody ate against the Buffs on the ground. We do have to talk about one of the most notable updates that came from this game, and that's star running back Noah Whittington is going to be down for a little while, down for a little bit, I should say, was the quote from head coach Dan Lanning following Saturday's 42-6 victory over the Buffs. Full quote from Lanning is as follows, quote, I don't normally talk about injuries, and I think there's still more to be decided here, but I think Noah's going to be down for a little bit. So we need everybody to say prayers for him. He's healthy. He's okay. But he's probably going to be down for a little bit. So we need everybody to have Noah in your prayers. And that is a tough kid, man. A tough kid that we're really proud of and fortunate to have. And there are bright days ahead for Noah. I just don't know that we'll have him here in the next few weeks. So we're looking at Oregon's offense and, and how things project moving forward. How does this injury affect Oregon? How does the Oregon offense look without Noah Whittington? Now, don't get it twisted. Let's not fool ourselves. Oregon's offense is amazing. One of the best offenses of the country. They can hurt you on the ground. They can hurt you through the air. Whatever, you know, pick your poison. That's quite literally what it's looking like right now. It's only four games in, still early on in the season. But Oregon's defense, or Oregon's offense, excuse me, is delivering. And now that Noah Whittington's down for a bit, we do actually have the uh, the video My my guy, Zach Neal, uh, posted a video uh, over on uh, social media. So let me see if I can share this one for you guys. Share my screen a little bit. Here we go. Here we go. All right. So here is the the full video of um, Noah Whittington. Noah Whittington's injury in this game. Definitely a tough break for him. Former Western Kentucky back that has been an absolute weapon for the Ducks. Looks like he got rolled up on pretty bad here uh, with his left ankle, left foot getting caught under number 51 there. So, you know, you hate to see this for any player, but I think really what it comes down to for Oregon as far as what, what is, uh, the outlook is, I think they will be all right because Oregon has arguably the most talented running back room in the entire Pac-12, um, and we've seen a three-headed monster so far for the Ducks in 2023. We've seen Bucky Irving, Noah Whittington. This is the last time we'll show it. And Jordan James, true sophomore back out of the state of Tennessee. He was primarily Oregon's short yardage back in 2022 as a true freshman, but he's excelled at taking on this larger role for the Ducks so far this year. I think he. I think the numbers. He's carried the ball 28 times for 209 yards, and he already has six rushing touchdowns. So, Jordan James, looks like the real deal. This is why you build the running back room the way that Carlos Laughlin has. This is why you get everybody carried. This is why you keep fresh legs in there throughout the game. And that was one of the keys to Oregon's victory, right? I, I've said an offensive key to success, an offensive key to the game for Oregon last week was run the ball at Colorado, run it early and often. We knew they couldn't stop the run. The Oregon's, Oregon's offensive line far matched Colorado. Colorado certainly had some good players along the defensive front, but Josh Conley, Stephen Jones, Jackson Powers Johnson, they had a field day against that defensive line. So they had no problem moving those guys. And um, they, they Oregon kept rotating in fresh legs that's when having a running back room as deep as Oregon has really paid off. And they've been rotating those three guys in throughout the year. And then you also saw Dante Dowdell Jason Marr getting some run there at the end when they had kind of pulled starters. So this injury is definitely a bummer for Oregon. Oh, you know, Whittington being out with uh, what looks like an ankle injury. Uh, he got carted off with his taken off. So definitely not the great, the greatest look, but, um, I think Oregon's gonna be okay. I think they're gonna be all right at running back. You still got Bucky Irving and, and Jordan James. And then maybe this is an opportunity for one of the true freshmen to step up and make a statement. I think that Dante Dowdell is a guy who generated a lot of hype coming out of high school, Mr. Football Award winner in the state of Mississippi. And then Jaden Lamar was no slouch himself coming out of the state of Washington, Pacific Northwest guy held the league like Stevens their first ever state title and uh, racked up a whole lot of yards and touchdowns in the, in the, um, in the process. So I think that I'm kind of looking forward a couple of weeks to, to games like uh, Washington on, uh, I think, it's October 14th. Um, I'm trying to double-check the date for that one. Oregon at Washington on October 14th. That's looking like it's going to be a phenomenal matchup between the Ducks and the Huskies, both ranked in the top 10 right now with Washington coming off of a win over Cal last week. But to wrap up the point here, Noah Whittington's injury for Oregon, definitely a tough break. You hate to see anybody get injured, and you certainly hate to see it happen early on in the year. But I think Oregon's going to be all right. They have the depth to sustain a blow like this and and continue moving forward and and putting up a whole lot of points and continuing to run the ball. But that was certainly one of the biggest stories from the game offensively. And then another, another guy we have to talk about, Troy Franklin, have yourself a day, young man. Troy Franklin continues to just dominate any defensive back that is put in front of him. I really, really wanted to see that Travis Hunter matchup between Troy Franklin and, uh, and uh, him and Troy Franklin and Travis Hunter. But right now, Troy Franklin has caught 25 passes for 418 receiving yards. He has five touchdowns on the year. He's gone for over 300 yards in three of Oregon's four games. He got for 83 yards against Hawaii uh, in, in week three, but he is absolutely living up to the hype. He is as dominant of a wide receiver I think as we've probably ever seen at Oregon. And Oregon's had some really good wide receivers. So I don't think that that's a statement that I make lightly, but I just think that his. Development and his maturation has been one of the best that we've seen in recent years. And you've got to give some props to Junior Adams, the wide receivers coach for the Ducks. He's done a phenomenal job working with Troy. And I think that he's really kind of come to his own and and looks like a different wide receiver uh, in 2022 and 2023 than he did as a true freshman. So we all know that he's a stud. He's on that three and out path. But he just does He was doing anything he wanted to in that game against Colorado and he is just truly I'd say an unguardable kind of guy you know that said we haven't seen him match up against any really good premier defensive backs which is why as we get into the the thick of the schedule things the conference play when they go against teams like Washington when they go against teams like USC those guys are going to have better talent to match up against Troy Franklin but I think he delivers on the big stage. He is a special talent, and I love watching him. So that was definitely one of – that guy gets one of my uh, offensive game balls for sure. He led the way for Oregon with 10 targets. He caught eight of those targets for 126 yards and a pair of touchdowns, 48 yards after the catch. And then you had everybody eating. Trayshawn Holden caught four passes for 50 yards. You had Tez Johnson catching four passes for 48 yards. Terrence Ferguson caught four passes, Bucky caught three, Gary Bryant caught two. So I love that w- the way that we're seeing the ball get spread around for the Ducks uh, offensively against Colorado, and I think that they're just continuing to be really well-rounded, 240 yards on the ground, 282 yards through the air. Um, I think that's exactly where you want to be if you're Will Stein right now, and uh, this Oregon offensive, the offensive line had a good day. I already talked about them, and they just look like they're really – Really composed. I think you did see some false start penalties rear their heads again. You saw some holding penalties. Um, so they're not a perfect unit. but Oregon's not a perfect unit, but you're continuing to see growth week after week. And then the last point that I want to hit on offensively, and then we've got to talk about that Oregon defense against Colorado. The last point I want to hit on offensively is Oregon a team that we can confidently say starts ball games fast now you guys can kind of chat and let me know how you feel in the comments but I feel like Oregon at least over the past couple of years certainly under Mario Cristobal maybe this is one of the differences we're seeing between Mario Cristobal's Oregon and Dan Lane's Oregon you get the ball to start but can you take advantage of that can you be a team where the other team is saying oh we need the ball first we don't want to kick the ball to them because they're just going to go ahead and score on that first drive In a game like this, in a big-time matchup against Colorado, Colorado won the toss, and they gave Oregon the ball to start, and Oregon marched right down the field and put seven points on the board. That's the kind of start you need every single game. To me, that's an, an underrated, undervalued dimension of an offense. Can you get the ball to start and make the other team pay for it? You want them to be saying, oh, man, I wish we took that ball because we just got scored on. And we're looking up, and only a few minutes have been taken off the board, and we're already trailing. So I'm not saying that's the, the what made the difference for Oregon's offense against Colorado. I just think that that is a continuous thing that we're starting to see with Dan Lanning's uh, Oregon is that these guys want to put up points and put up points in a hurry. And I don't think they went tempo too much in this game, but Oregon week after week continues to be one of the most efficient and one of the most effective offenses in all of college football. And I think people are starting to take more notice of them. This game, this performance from Bo Nix was was, uh, I wouldn't say a masterpiece, but Dan Lanning said himself that he thinks they have the best quarterback in the country. Dan Lanning walked into his darn post-game press conference wearing a Bo Davis shirt, which was awesome. So that was fun to see. But Oregon's offense continues to fire on all cylinders. And uh, I think they're in a great spot right now. You got that matchup against Stanford this week, which I think a lot of people are probably writing off, but you got to go on the road. Um, road games are never easy in the Pac-12, and, and Stanford has traditionally been the team that has given Oregon uh, a tough challenge. But we know that they have some work to do, and it's kind of a slow rebuild process under Troy Taylor. But either way, that's not a matchup that Oregon can take lightly. You're firing on all cylinders, coming off of a big win at home. You hit the road, and ideally show that you can do it again. And then you enter that bye week with a ton of momentum, and then you get ready for that Washington matchup in, in mid-October coming off the bye. Washington will also be coming off the bye at that point. But it's Oregon offense. I think you love where you're at. You've got great depth. You're seeing a lot of guys get uh, snaps. You're seeing a lot of guys contribute in meaningful ways. You're seeing Iapani Lalaulu continue to be a guy that's a key contributor for Oregon along the offensive line. I love how they're rotating him in. I don't know if we saw very much of Junior Angola, which uh, continues to be an interesting theme here early on in the year. The Texas transfer hasn't played a whole lot of football for Oregon, but uh, we also didn't see Nashad Strother, I don't believe, uh, in that game as well against Colorado. So some interesting developments, but that Oregon offense is as potent and as lethal as ever after another strong showing against the Buffs on Saturday. Let's hop over to the other side of the football. Glad to have you guys along here on a Monday morning. If you're just tuning in, we are breaking down Oregon's dominant win, 42-6, to over Deion Sanders and the Colorado Buffaloes. If you guys are here in the live stream, do me a quick favor and hit that like button and subscribe to the channel. only takes a second out of your day, and we have been seeing some tremendous growth here on the channel over the past week. And I love seeing that from you guys. So greatly, greatly appreciate your support. Uh, I think we're about to hit 2,600 and I come at you five days a week with the Ducks Dish podcast. So make sure you guys are locked in and then follow me on Twitter and Instagram at mtouristsports. Always bringing you the latest recruiting juice and intel from the trail.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all
1: Obi-Obi-Wan saying, and was that a second segment SIP? Uh, It definitely was a second segment SIP. I think that might be trademarked by my guy Spencer McLaughlin over at Locked on Ducks. But hope to have him on uh, another show, maybe tomorrow. Um, But I know you guys always love to see Spencer, so great to uh, have him along and and continue to work with him. So Oregon's defense against Colorado. I think one of the best stats coming out of this game – Hawaii's offense put up more yards against Oregon than Colorado did. Let me say that again. The Hawaii Rainbow Warriors put up more yards of offense, 201, than the Colorado Buffaloes with prolific quarterback Shador Sanders against Oregon. Now, let's say this. It was only a two-yard difference. Hawaii put up 201 yards. Colorado put up 199 yards, but wow, did that stat jump off the page for me. And I can't, I can't really, um, I can't really rag on Shadour Sanders too much because the dude had no time. We knew all week that Colorado's offensive line was incredibly suspect. They were three, and they were rattling off big wins because they had that guy because of number two behind center Shadour Sanders. But Saturday's game just drove home a point that we all knew. It doesn't matter how good your quarterback, uh, sorry, how good your wide receivers are. It doesn't matter how good your running backs and tight ends are. You can have the best quarterback in all of college football. He's not going to be able to do anything if he doesn't have time to operate. And that certainly was the case for Shadur Sanders on Saturday. Seven sacks from Oregon's defensive line, from Oregon's, and it's just a phenomenal showing from the Dan Lane and Tosh LePoy defense. I saw that Tosh LePoy, uh won a coordinator of the week award from on Threes Matt Zenit. So that was incredibly warranted. And I think that's another point that we have to kind of talk about emerging from this game. Tosh LePoy as a defensive coordinator. been a little bit of a mixed bag so far at Oregon. I think that's definitely a, a fair way to shake it. Uh, he obviously is a guy who arrived at Oregon with uh, a lot of claim coming from the recruiting trail from his days at Alabama, from his days at Washington and, and Cal. But this is a good coach. This guy is a good coach. He, he's been at the NFL level before, um, worked with, with Miles Garrett on the Browns, also coached on the, the Jaguars. So I feel like Tosh LePoy. If there's any coordinator on this staff, is there, if there's if there's an assistant on this staff that has a chip on his shoulder, I feel like Tosh is one of those guys, and he called, or he and Dan Lanning, I don't know how it's uh, split up, because Dan was asked about that last year about uh, who calls plays on defense, and that wasn't uh, answered. But Tosh Lapoy deserves a lot of credit for Oregon's defensive showing against Colorado, the hottest offenses in college for. Came to Eugene, came to Autzen Stadium, and was absolutely shut down. There's no other way to put it. Shadour Sanders finished with 22 of 33 passing for 159 yards and one touchdown. That touchdown definitely came in garbage time when it was uh, already well out of hand. But Colorado uh, running the ball, they ran the ball 25 times for 40 yards. 40 rushing yards. We knew it was a one-dimensional team, but that was just confirmed on Saturday. Colorado was only able to go to average 1.6 yards a carry. And let's not forget, here, folks, there were a lot of Colorado fans talking this week about how Houston running back transfer Al- Alton McCaskill was going to be a difference maker. Like, oh, we we we've only been one we've only been one-dimensional because we haven't had the talent for it. Just wait until Alton McCaskill gets activated comes back from injury in this game and he ran the ball five times, for 17 yards, not exactly an effective day on the ground. And I'm not trying to slight him. I'm just trying to say that, uh, you know, for as much as Colorado as a team was talking, for as much as their players were talking, oh my God, were Colorado fans just talking and running their mouths all week um, in my mentions. And um, well, I wonder what they have to say now. Um, This is crazy. This is absolutely crazy just to see how well Oregon's defense did. Um, and then we also have to talk about Oregon's defensive backs. I think that we talk about, when we talk about the defensive back conversation, oh my God, do we have to talk about Kyrie Jackson? The Alabama transfer had himself a day against Colorado on Saturday. Kyrie Jackson, final stat line three solo tackles, one assisted tackle, four solo tackles, four. Had three pass breakups in coverage a phenomenal day. One of them probably could and should have been an interception. Um, so he's probably probably had to knock out some pushups on the sideline after missing that interception. But the whole talk about the Colorado offense aside from Shadur Sanders was Xavier Weaver and, um, and um, shoot, I can't remember his name, uh, someone Horn. Uh, I can't believe I just said it like that. But Horn, Horn Jr., was the other guy that Colorado had at wide receiver. And those guys got shut down. Xavier Weaver finished the day. He caught nine tar- nine of his 14 targets for 75 yards. Okay, stat line. I guess, I mean, nine catches on 14 targets is pretty good. But, um, yeah, and then you had Jimmy Horn. He was targeted three times. and caught one ball for negative four yards. So Colorado just had nothing going. In the passing game and Kyrie Jackson was absolutely he had his seat belt out that's what uh that's what the celebration is like you know you're scrapped. uh guys can't go anywhere because you're sticking in coverage that's kind of what it goes goes with right Colorado couldn't do anything offensively and I think that we also have to highlight the pass rush I said this a couple weeks ago on my podcast hopefully you guys were listening you guys can back me up in the comments or something but Coming out of that Texas Tech game, the headline kind of was Oregon escaped with a 38-30 win over Texas Tech. But I was kind of trying to find that silver lining defensively. You know, Jeff Bossa had his pick six, which was amazing. But I thought that that game against Texas Tech was the most promising that Dan Lanning's defense had looked since he was the head coach. So to go from what we saw at Texas Tech to what we saw against Colorado – the the two best offenses that Oregon has faced this year, what a leap! What a phenomenal leap from week from week two to week four, and then the defense shows up in a big way. Um, whether you're talking about forcing turnovers, um, I don't think anybody had an interception that game. Actually, um, Oh, no, there was one. Which one am I think? Which one am I missing? Oh, that's from Colorado. Uh, okay, yeah, no turnovers forced this game. But you had six pass breakups and a batted pass. So they were still clogging the passing lanes, creating that disruption, which is such a key mark of an elite defense or a good defense. I don't want to call Oregon's defense elite yet. But it would be crazy to, to to come out of this game and not be talking about Oregon's, Oregon showing signs of having an elite defense. I think if I'm Dan Lanning, I'm sitting back watching the film after this game, and I'm just – I'm just rubbing my hands together saying this is what it was supposed to look like. This is why I brought in the transfers that I did. This is why I brought in Jordan Birch, who had himself a phenomenal day. Four total tackles and two status for the South Carolina transfer. He shows up in a big way. And it doesn't even matter which offensive lineman you put on Jordan Jordan Birch. All of them, every single one of them looked incredibly outmatched. I went against Jordan Birch, which just speaks to the type of talent that he is. Jordan Birch's game against Oregon was the epitome of why you bring in a guy like that from the SEC, of why those previous relationships mean so much in today's era of college football with the transfer portal. But he wasn't the only guy that had himself a heck of a day. Can we talk about Brandon Dorless for a second? Brandon Dorless with four total tackles, one sack. Uh, one tackle for loss, he was he's a dude. We know he's a dude, but he showed up when it mattered most, as did everybody on this Oregon team in this huge matchup under the national spotlight. All eyes were on Eugene this past weekend, and, and Oregon showed up while Colorado did not. And then Brandon Dorlis, I tweeted about it earlier today. He might have given one of the best press conferences that I've seen since I started covering Oregon. If you guys are new and haven't uh, listened to me or read my stuff before, I've been covering Oregon since 2018, so I've heard a lot of press conferences. I know that I'm still one of the younger guys in this market, but I've heard a lot of Oregon press conferences. And Brandon Dorless with a gem of a quote talking about our whole message was to show the world that we're still Oregon and they're still Colorado, which to me, I kind of think that as pump the brakes, you haven't done anything yet. I'm not saying that he was, he didn't say those words because I don't want to misquote him. That was what he said as far as we wanted to show the world that we're still Oregon and they're still Colorado. That happened. My God, what a great quote that was from Brandon Dorless. And then he was talking about, you can't come to our town, disrespect us, um, you know, scuff up the O, uh, you know, mess up with our logo and do something like that. Like kind of, it was very Richard Sherman-esque, you know, you do that and that's the result that you're going to get. So he was fired up. He is one of the great faces of the Oregon defense, of the Oregon team, and he had a phenomenal day. And then another transfer that we have to talk about, Evan Williams at 60. The Fresno State transfer finished with four total tackles, one and a half sacks, and he was phenomenal. Blitzing out of the secondary or coming up off the edge, whatever it was, Evan Williams stepped up, and he did it in a big way. I think one of the biggest things, one of the biggest question marks that I had about this Oregon defense, kind of came in the secondary. I knew there was a lot of talent there. I knew that Oregon had some dudes there. You don't go in the portal and get guys like Tyree Jackson and Evan Williams, which Dan Lanning alluded to, saying that we have a good track record of our guys from the transfer portal having an impact. You don't get guys like that unless you think they're going to play. And Evan Williams showed why he was such a huge addition for this Oregon defense this offseason season. So. I think we're getting a lot of clarity if we're Demetrius Martin and Chris Hampton and Joe Lorig looking at that secondary, right? You know that you have a stud in Kyrie Jackson who has bounced back in a huge way after his pass interference call against uh, Texas Tech, which was leaving everybody scratching their heads. But Kyrie Jackson, the dude almost had a third straight interception in as many games. So he's looking like a dude. And then, You have Jaleel Florence as well. Jaleel Florence in his true sophomore year is uh, quietly having a really, really good season, and it looks like those are the two starting cornerbacks for the Ducks. You have Kyrie Jackson and you have Jaleel Florence. But another thing we have to talk about here is the depth on Oregon's defense on both sides of the ball. Oregon looks like they have depth everywhere pretty much at this point because when those guys need to spell who's coming in, an experienced veteran who's been really solid for you in Triquas Bridges, and another veteran who looks like he's getting even more comfortable now, in Dante Manning. He had a couple of good plays in coverage this past uh, this past game. And then looking at the linebacker court, we didn't see any of Justin Jacobs yet, and that was kind of a shock to me. I think Lanny is obviously a really tight-lipped about injuries this year and until uh, that, that injury to Noah Whittington, but... We didn't know if Justin Jacobs was going to be available. And when he didn't play against Colorado, I kind of said, hey, that's probably a good call because he won him for – when he did not play against Hawaii, did I say Colorado? When Justin Jacobs didn't play against Hawaii last week, I think that I kind of took that as, all right, maybe he's not quite ready yet, save him for the Colorado game. That's a big game. He wasn't available, and it wasn't a problem for Oregon. Um, Obviously, you want to see that guy play, but a combination of Jeffrey Bossa – Jamal Hill, Bryce Betcher. Bryce Betcher has been one of the best stories of the season so far. Um, a two-sport standout, former walk-on um, for the team, and now he is playing some quality minutes. Bryce Betcher Bryce has earned everything he's gotten, and man, I love watching that kid play. And then Devin Jackson also got some time as well, so I think that I'm... And then Connor Soley uh, finished the game leading the team in tackles, with six total tackles, so Oregon's getting some contributions from everywhere. And I think that that is one of the biggest takeaways that I have from this game as we get into some more big picture stuff. It's just Oregon's depth. I think we already knew that they had the depth on offense, right? We knew that they had an awesome backfield. We knew that the the wide receiver room was loaded. I think you're feeling better about the tight end room now behind just Terrence Ferguson and Patrick Herbert. We're seeing some more Kenyon Sadiq. And that dude like he is really exciting and there's some good football ahead of him. But on defense, we already knew that Oregon's defensive line was super deep and Dorlis was also talking about the value of having fresh legs to rotate in there. And it's, it's, uh, it's just a great place to be for this Oregon defense. Mateo Uyunglele, um he, he had, um, he didn't register a sack, but man, that dude was dominant. I feel like he was constantly getting into the backfield and there was so many holding calls that I didn't even get called. So who's to say that Oregon's defense should have had even more sacks after that game uh, against Colorado, but Mateo looks like a dude. And I wonder, if, I think he probably has to put up more stats, but I really truly really wonder, I'm saying this now on September 25th, it's probably not super unique, but I wonder what Mateo Uyangalele's freshman season is going to look like when we put it up. Next to Kayvon Thibodeau's freshman season because they've, they both played a lot of ball their freshman year, right? We're only four games into Mateo's freshman season, but he's already playing way bigger of a role than Kayvon Thibodeau did, right? I feel like Kayvon Thibodeau didn't really come on super strong consistently until the back end of that freshman season, which I think is, is huge. For Mateo to be having the season that he's having right now is great because he had a great. He had a great um, game against Colorado. And then another guy that we have to talk about along that freshman, uh, freshman edge group, how about Tatum Tuglioti? Have yourself a day. One, uh, one solo tackle, two, two assisted tackles, three total tackles, and he was one of those guys that had a sack, one of seven sacks for Oregon on the day. Tatum Tuglioti looking like a stud. And I probably should have pumped him up a little bit more, hopefully. Um coming into the year because I was talking to some people uh, around the program and they were telling me you know, Tatum's going to be a dude. Tatum's looking really good. And I think that he kind of flew under the radar because he was playing high school ball in Nebraska and then his dad gets hired at Oregon and now he's playing at Sheldon, which is viewed really well in, in, uh, in terms of Oregon high school football. Obviously the Herberts went there and, and they've continued, it looks like, put together a, a strong program but Nebraska and Oregon aren't exactly viewed as prolific football states. Um, I think that, that also speaks to a little bit of the story with Devin Jackson, who came out of Nebraska, but he was an All-American guy, and now he is quickly stepping into his own as a, as a redshirt freshman, or maybe he's a true sophomore, but he's a young guy at Oregon, and he looked great. And that was one of the big takeaways from from Oregon's defensive play on Saturday. Every one of those linebackers – and play sideline to sideline. Those linebackers already look like they are doing a much better job of covering the pass. And I think that that also speaks with some of the coverage sacks that you saw. Right, Oregon secondary was playing so well that some of these sacks they got wasn't even weren't even necessarily the defensive line just playing a great game. It was there was nobody open. Shadour Sanders was looking down the field and everybody was just blanketed. And that's how the sack happens sometimes too. So Tatum Tuioti agreed. Mateo looked great. Um, Andrew with a great comment here uh, saying, also Purchase may actually be ahead of Mateo. Blake Purchase wasn't even an early enrollee. Like, I think that it's so important to talk about, um, to talk about uh, early enrolling and how much value that has, right? I think Dan Lennon in the spring, uh, maybe it wasn't this spring, maybe it was last spring talked about that almost being like an additional term or like an extra redshirt year. That's how valuable enrolling early is. And Blake Purchase got to Eugene in the summer. He didn't have all of that extra time. That is a two-time, I believe, Gatorade Player of the Year, and he has wasted no time at all finding the field and making an impact. Um, and I was told that Blake Purchase was going to be a guy. You know, I, I was talking to to somebody on Oregon staff who played a huge role personally in recruiting Blake Purchase, and he was he was telling me, Max, this guy is going to be so good. And then to make it even better, a little bit of icing on the cake, right? He's from Colorado, and he was one of the the later. Um, one of the later signees for Oregon, his his letter of intent took a little bit to come in during that early signing period. And the reason behind that was because Deion Sanders was doing everything he could to flip him. So the fact that he is having such an impact is absolutely massive. I am loving this Oregon defensive line. We we have to give a shout out to Casey Rogers, to Andrew with a comment here. Um, can someone else give, show some, show some love to Casey Rogers who puts it at the nose and straight straight blows up the interior what a fake punt I'd hate to have to tackle a 300 pound monster and we have to talk about that that's just how good of a game this was we've been going for like 40 minutes and I still haven't even talked about the fake punt and called a fake punt from I want to say it was inside his own 20 yard line and that to me even though it was 13 to nothing at the time I want to say that big punt conversion when Casey Rogers ripped off about 20 yards, that was the turning point in that game. And what what a call by Dan Lennon to do that. Um, yeah, four, fourth and four at the 17. What a what a gutsy call. And he said, you know, we've been doing that all week, and we want to call it when no one's expecting it. Dan Campbell did a similar thing with the with the Lions when they had that Week One win over the Chiefs a couple weeks ago. Um, What a phenomenal play call because at that point Colorado's defense was probably looking at it like, oh, okay, we got these guys in fourth down deep in their own territory. We're going to get the ball back and try to go down and score and answer. But Oregon just wiped out that opportunity because you had the fake punt call. Clearly they weren't expecting it. Watching that on TV, uh, I thought they did an awesome job of selling it. But at that point on, from that punt on, it was all Oregon. It was already, like, all Oregon, but what a phenomenal call that just swung. Like, there, there was no chance that Colorado – no chance, I shouldn't say that. There was very little chance that Colorado was going to be able to respond effectively to that punch. That that was a haymaker to Colorado's efforts on Saturday at Knottson Stadium. There's no other way to put it. So, what a phenomenal call. Uh, Got to give some props to, to the punter. Um, I want to say that was Ross James. I'm not hundred percent sure, so that's on me. I gotta check that. But man, what a win for Dan Lanning and company. Dominant 42 to 6 win over the Colorado Buffaloes. Deion Sanders called it a, a good old fashioned butt kicking in the postgame. Um I, I really liked it because it did seem to me that that Colorado needed to be humbled. I know that Dion kind of you know tried to brush off that uh that um kind of sentiment, but Colorado absolutely needed to be humbled. Colorado went into Autzen Stadium on Saturday talking the talk. They left Saturday doing anything but walking the walk. That's that's what it was. If you're going to talk like that, you better be able to back it up on the field. And you couldn't. And Dan Lanny did such a good job. Oh my God, we have to talk about the 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 locker room, the locker room video when he said they're playing for clicks and we're playing for wins. It's different. I think that is huge. Um and you have um it's just that they had so much confidence and and you know they kind of just tried to play it off as swag, but you you gotta they let the their play their play on the field do their talking and that that's that's what you gotta love if you're an Oregon fan you gotta love just the Colorado hype train rolled into Odson on Saturday and stopped completely they they put the e brake on because I mean it is one game but I think for Oregon it was just great to be under the net spotlight I predicted fifty two to twenty seven I didn't think this game was going to be close. Um, so I think that was that was awesome to, to see um, Colorado just get completely dominated and see Oregon show up the way that they did. I think that that sends a statement to the rest of college football that they were real, but that they're the real deal. But I think that there are bigger challenges that lie ahead of them, no doubt about it. Washington and USC, those are better teams for sure than Colorado. They obviously have some work to do. I think that they Dion's done a great job of turning that program around and getting it headed in the right direction. Bringing those guys in from the transfer portal, he's going to land some big-time recruits. But you, you can only do so much in the span of one offseason. So I'm super curious to see how Dion can can uh, you know get this team kind of rallied around and rally the troops and try to bounce back. But Oregon showed that they're the real deal and that um, they can be considered as serious contenders nationally. Now you have three teams, I believe it is, inside the top 10 in the Pac-12. You have USC, Washington, and Oregon. Um, Let me double check that real quick. We're probably going to start winding down here. Um, No, you have four teams inside the top 10. You have Utah at 10, Oregon at 9, USC at 8, and Washington at number 7. So the Pac-12 stock is at an all-time high. It's a great time to be a fan of a Pac-12 team. There's going to be so much good football this year, but – I got to get out of here, you guys. Do me a quick favor. Like the video and subscribe to the channel. Share the Ducks Dish podcast with your friends, with your family, and with the Duck fans. Important to lock in with me on social media, at Sports on Twitter and Instagram. And then uh, you can read all my work over on ducksdigest.com. So appreciate you guys for the support. Hope everybody has an awesome Monday. And we'll see you tomorrow on another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast.